When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us on 1170am in Sydney, wherever you've got us via the SEN app. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. As always, this morning you can give me a call anytime over the next three hours or 0457 736 736. And we should say good morning and welcome back to one Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, who have arrived back into Sydney this morning. I've seen some vision of them going through Sydney Airport. So um, to the fellas, if you're in the back of the car heading off to wherever you need to go this morning after your arrival, you've done your media, you've been swamped this morning by media, might still be doing it the way that it's going on. Congratulations. Welcome back home to Sydney and welcome back to the country. And let's hope that you can get some rest and soak up the wonderful World Cup victory. So well done. And no doubt it'll all start to hit home over the next couple of days when you get back to friends and family. On the list this morning in terms of guests on the show, Andy Harper will join me to talk about the Socceroos' victory over Palestine. So I'll get into that in just a second. But also some news around the A-League in football. And I'll throw this to you, especially in terms of rugby league, because the A-League is going twice now into New Zealand. So doubling down essentially into New Zealand with the expansion team into Auckland. And they will be backed by a billionaire who's got some pretty serious runs on the board in the world of sport. So what does this mean for the A-League, obviously, and football in Australia and now the Trans-Tasman competition with two teams over there in New Zealand? And what does it mean, do you think, for the bigger picture for the NRL when we're looking at expansion down the road? Are we missing a beat here that other codes are looking at or are we biding our time and still going the right way with Papua New Guinea? Jury's out for me on that one, but I'll hand that over to you in just a few moments. Larry Canning will join me. The Australian PGA Championship starts tomorrow up at Royal Queensland. So big times in the world of golf. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the Australian legs have come back into prominence. Now, a lot of talk around the party hole and all that kind of stuff. And Cameron Smith, of course, um, and, we, and we've got so many big names now. But the live golf factor in all of this can't be underestimated because there's a couple of layers to it, including world rankings points and therefore shots at majors if you decided to defect to live a couple of years ago now. So Larry Canning will join us a little bit later on this morning. So too will Joel Gould with all the latest on the road from Rugby League in AAP Sportsland. And Alice Arnott and Tom Craig from the New South Wales Pride hockey team. So women's and men's New South Wales Pride hockey teams, both into the championship final weekend. So semi-finals down there in Canberra. Alice and Tom are also partners. So we're going to try and get both of them on the line at the same time and see how that one plays out. You can join us anytime this morning. A $100 voucher to Archie's foot where I've got to give away Archie's thongs are so comfy, you'll never take them off. So hit me up on the text line. Be our best caller this morning. See if you can come up with something good this morning for us to chat to. Make me laugh on this Wednesday morning. Why not? It's the world 
of sport. So the Socceroos 1-0 in Kuwait City in their World Cup qualifier against Palestine. This is how it played out. Harry Sutar scored in the 18th minute again off a Craig Goodwin corner. A corner delivered by Craig Goodwin. Let's see if history's about to repeat. Goodwin's delivery. It has been repeated. Extraordinary. Goodwin to Sutar. Same result. 1-0 Australia. Harry Sutar has his 10th goal for his country in just his 22nd appearance. So perhaps after 18 minutes, if you got up nice and early, you're thinking maybe there's another thrashing here. It was 7-0 against Bangladesh last week and, of course, very different scenario all round at the neutral venue against Palestine in this one and a different outcome. We still won the match, but Australia were held for the rest of the match and also had to endure some nervous moments, including a late save by Matt Ryan as well in the first half. Let's have a listen to how Graham Arnold summarised the 1-0 win over Palestine last night or early this morning. Mate, it's exactly uh, what I predicted and thought, you know, that uh, you know, Palestine, uh, we're going to come out in that type of energy, that type of work rate and fight, and you've got to give full uh, credit to Palestine. Probably we didn't play our best, but... Uh, most important thing was the three points. In terms of the structure of the team tonight and areas for improvement, what, what do you want to look at? Yeah, look, I think uh, that game was really a fight for the second ball game. They, you know, they had four up front, a couple of big boys. They smashed it long and we were getting, uh, getting ready for the second ball. And, you know, I think we obviously we can do better. But, again, I'm very proud of the boys after everything uh, off the field that we've gone through, you know, getting this game plan, late, you know, everything late, and uh, the fact that we've got it done, it's the main thing. What's that match number 60 now for Arnie in charge of the Socceroos? The way that he shouts and screams on the sideline and then has to get through the post-match interview. I don't know if he's got many more in him in terms of interviews, but it shows the passion out there. Well done to the Socceroos, well done to Palestine. So what's next for Australia? Well, players will return to their clubs this weekend. Next in terms of on the pitch, we look at the Asian Cup in Qatar and we're talking about the first game on the 13th of January against India. Socceroos will be one of the favourites there alongside South Korea, Japan and the hosts who are the defending champions, Qatar themselves. Meanwhile, closer to home, well, closer to home plus across the Tasman, the A-League has announced it will go to Auckland for its newest team, 13th and newest team for the 2024 and 25 season. So they've granted a licence for the Auckland club. It still has to be ticked off by the various federations, I understand, but the Auckland club has been awarded to billionaire Bill Foley. He owns, amongst other things, the English Premier League club Bournemouth and also National Hockey League champions, the Vegas Golden Knights. So they're yet to get their name. Perhaps we might have the Auckland Knights there, which ironically was exactly what they were called back in 2005-2007 when they were last the base for an A-League club. There will also be a women's team which will be introduced the following season. So the Auckland team joins the Wellington Phoenix. Like I said, a 13-team competition and football Australia boss James Johnson said it's all part of the league's evolution. So what about the others that were in the mix? We'll talk to Andy Harper about that. But let's put a rugby league spin on this. Now, different codes, different setups, different scenarios, different expansion timeframes, the lot. But 
We know that there are teams and consortiums in New Zealand that are willing to put their hand up and be part of the expansion of rugby league that is coming, more than likely in 2027. And we know that Papua New Guinea is destination favourite for the NRL at the moment and, of course, the Australian government and the government in Papua New Guinea. So we know that that's on the radar. But we also know what we could get out of New Zealand. We've got the Warriors over there. We'd get a a rivalry kind of game if we went into Wellington or other parts of New Zealand, Christchurch, that are putting their hands up. Have we missed a little bit of a trick here? Have the A-League got the jump, or does it just not matter in terms of what Rugby League are doing? Could we have perhaps lent towards a billionaire like Bill Foley with the runs on the board there, and he's got the football connection through Bournemouth, but perhaps could we have looked in there? Let me know your thoughts on that one. Like I said, the jury's out for me yet because I'm yet to see the true compelling reasons as to why the PNG team and expansion, aside from the fact that they love their rugby league and geopolitically it's got all that going for it, I'm yet to go through all the facts to see if this is the best thing for the game. Now, if it is, I'm happy. Let's go for it, 100%. But I'm yet to see all of that because all of that yet is to be put on the table. Still a few years to go, and there's big money involved. But now, with what's happening with the A-League, perhaps it allows us to go, let's have a little think about this here. Should we be thinking more carefully about New Zealand? Or do you think we just stick with the Warriors over there and that's it? Let me know your thoughts on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 or 0457 736 736. Speaking of rugby league, rugby league news... What's been making news in the last 12, 24 hours? An emoji. (laughs) I kid you not. An emoji has been making news. So Bradman Best replies to a post from Jerome Luai about a Foot Locker store promotion with an emoji of a tiger and wide eyes. And it's news. This is the modern day news cycle. And this is stuff that you actually have to pay attention to. So I'm not taking the mickey out of it. I'm just showing you that this is where we're at. We've got a Newcastle Knights player reacting to a post from a Penrith player supposedly about the West Tigers, and it's news. And it's an emoji. So we all have to start digging, oh, what does this mean? What the the hell does this mean? Well, they're both managed by the same management company. That's about the only link there. But gee, you could have some fun, couldn't you? You just sit around and fire off an emoji or a like or a thumbs up or whatever it is, tigers and throw a donkey in there, whatever you want to do. Who knows what's next? That's about it. That's all I can tell you. Making news around the Jerome Luai situation is an emoji. That's where that one ends. Meanwhile, the Bulldogs have joined the Dragons, reportedly in showing interest in Connor Tracy. So Dave Ricky, I'm Brent Reid, reporting in the telly this morning that Tracy's been given permission by the Sharks to look around. He's got another year left on his deal. Cameron Serraldo is looking to boost his squad and is trying to entice Connor Tracy to leave early, which he'd get the permission if they could make everything work, and obviously there'd probably be some compensation in return. The Sharks have already let Matt Moylan go off to the English Super League, so perhaps Connor Tracy can get a deal done, but would it be the Bulldogs or the Dragons? And Bulldogs fans and Dragons fans, let me know your thoughts around this one. Would that make sense for your club? Is that the kind of signing that you'd want to see? So Connor Tracy had a good back end of the year. Two games for Souths is where he started his NRL journey back in 2019. 
and has played 64 games for the Sharks in the last four seasons. I think he played 10 this year. Let me know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. WBBL last night. Interesting. Really interesting. You know that I love my laws of cricket here. I don't love them all. But when you get down into the weeds of, of the laws of cricket, you find some really quirky things. And would you have seen this one coming, even if you are a cricket nuffy? Would you have noticed what Amelia Kerr did last night by catching the ball from a throw-in from the deep and she had the towel that she uses to dry the ball and she caught it with her hands? So if you saw it, I didn't see it live. So I, I can't, I, I tell you what, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have picked it up. I wouldn't have picked it up. But there is a law that states that it's illegal if a fielder extends his or her clothing with his or her hands and uses this to field the ball. So it's illegal to do that, what she did. And when you go into the laws of the game, it therefore goes on to become a five penalty uh, runs that are awarded to the batting side and the ball immediately becomes dead. It goes back to also the law about um, which fielders can use any other equipment, such as protective equipment. So no fielder other than the wicketkeeper can wear gloves or external leg, leg, cards, uh, leg guards, I should say, should say. And you can't have any protection for the hand or fingers without the consent of the umpires. And then you can't use your clothing to catch or touch the ball when it's in play. So that's the, that's the boring bit of it. The interesting bit is that as soon as the ball came back and Amelia Kerr caught it, the umpire was onto it like that. So a very rare and very costly five-run penalty handed against the Brisbane Heat. Five runs go to the batting side. And the Sixers ended up winning that match with one ball left. So the Heat, seven for 176, and Amelia Kerr did most of the damage there with the bat for Brisbane, 64. Elise Perry, three for 40. Then the Sixers, with one ball left, end up four for 177. Ash Gardner, 36. Aaron Burns, 35. And it also came down to Tilly Carmichael and Matilda Brown, who needed 38 off the last four overs. They got seven off the last over, but those five runs are crucial. A very rare and very costly five-run penalty that perhaps most of us didn't see or wouldn't have seen, even if we're in the world of cricket. But the umpire was there and on top of it. So well done there. Sydney now 6-7 and seven for the season. They're in fifth place. The Sydney Thunder dropped their game against the Adelaide Strikers uh, yesterday afternoon by three wickets. So the Thunder are now third, 7-4. and four, And Adelaide on top of the ladder, 9-3 and three at the moment. Scorchers, who are second, currently take on the Stars today. Now in golf, this is an interesting situation. So we've got the PGA starting tomorrow at Royal Queensland. Cam Smith, defending champ. We've got Adam Scott there, Minwoo Lee, Matt Jones, Cam Davis, and Mark Leishman. Leishman's a fascinating story and a good reflection on what's happening in the world of golf right now, especially with live golfers, the majors, and where they all end up together, as in the PGA Tour plus live and the DP World Tour. So as you know, Leishman didn't qualify to play any of the majors this year. But that ended a streak of 30 straight majors that goes back to the 2015 Masters. He's had four top five finishes in majors. You'd have to say that he has been one of the Australians knocking on the door, most likely. 
He also knew when he went to live that that was going to fall by the wayside because there's no rankings attached with Liv. Now, they've tried. They just can't get any. Mark Leishman's now ranked 410th in the world. He was up to 12th was his career best. And as of January last year, he was still top 40. So think top 50, depending on where it's at, top 50 to top 70, and your majors are on the card. None of the four organisations that run the majors have actually banned live golf players, but they've stuck to their exemption criteria, which means if you don't have the right rankings or you're not exempt, you can't get in. And live cannot get official world golf rankings sorted to earn a spot. They made their application earlier this year and it was rejected. It doesn't matter to Cam Smith at the moment. He can play all four majors through to 2027 after winning the British Open. Doesn't matter to Dustin Johnson. Doesn't matter to Phil Mickelson. He can play everything but the US Open until 2030. But what about those players like a Mark Leishman, for instance, who, sure, made their bed and have been sleeping in it, but somebody's starting to change the covers and the pillows. They're starting to work out the PGA Tour is going to end up in bed with the public investment fund of Saudi or someone else. They've started to change the goalposts already. It's just a matter of who they end up in bed with. So what does this mean for golfers like Mark Leishman? Should the majors just work out a system here, an order of merit? Should they fast-track players back into reunification and allow them to play other events that have world golf ranking points attached to them? Should they work out a system for live to get rankings points? That's complex. Or should the live players just cop it sweet? There are a lot of people who are saying, you got your money, take it, and let's see where it ends. In my opinion, the goalposts are starting to shift. So then the other parts have to shift with it. We don't know where they're going to end, and we don't know how long that's going to take. But they're starting to shift the rules, and they've started it. The PGA Tour have started this. So perhaps they've got to start looking at those players and finding out a way for them to come back in to the big dance, those four majors. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. So there you go. Plenty on the table for us to discuss this morning and a whole heap more as well. We'll take a first break for the morning. I'll come back and take your texts and calls right after this. Let's go to the open line. Greg from San Susie, first caller of the morning. G'day, Greg. G'day. How are we? Great, thanks, mate. Excellent. Um, the Auckland addition to the A-League is a good one, without mm-hmm. question. Uh, it now gives us derbies pretty much everywhere. Well, Sydney, Melbourne, New Zealand, yeah. which is everywhere. Uh, and um, it, uh, it brings some serious money into the league, which is good. It's It's not a club that's going to fall over, unlike uh, their predecessors, the Auckland Knights of, uh, of 2005. They, um, they were a disaster almost from the, from the start. Um, the Socceroos last night, it was a win. It was an expected win. A lot of people expected more, but given the circumstances in you know, the the travel and the short turnaround time from the uh, the game in Melbourne, 
it brought us three points, and that's really all that uh, all that really mattered. Uh, the combination being built up between uh, Harry Souter and Craig Goodwin is one that the rest of the world will be watching and uh, and hopefully trying to plan against because that will then free up people like Cam Burgess, who is only an inch shorter than Harry and will be a definite go-to if, um, if Harry is uh, double and triple teamed. Mm. Uh, but the big thing for me, Matty, is... Uh, is the other game that was played overnight, and that was the Ollie Roos. Tony yep. Bidmar's team beat Saudi Arabia 3-1 overnight. And that's four wins on the trot for this team leading into the uh, the Paris Olympic Games. They are developing into a seriously good unit. All right, I'll do some uh, digging into that one, mate. I wasn't across that one, but, uh, yeah, that's good to hear. So it's a really good take, Greg. I know that you're heavily involved, but a good take on on all of the above. I've got an interesting one, though, and I've got to get to the news, but when you say, you know, were we expecting more, I think off the back of Bangladesh, obviously, you know, everyone was expecting it, but I I had a feeling that this was going to be a lot tougher just emotionally. I'm going to take myself out in any form of expertise around this, but just emotionally and the, and the size and scale and everything that's going on with um, Palestine and, and, and playing over there in Kuwait City, I just had the feeling that it was going to be tougher. I, I didn't know what to expect going into that one. So when I saw this morning that it was 1-0 and then I went and checked out all the replays and you know read everything about it, I thought, well, that's probably a, a result that they'll take given the circumstances. Good on you, Greg. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Um, lots to look into there, and congratulations to the Ollie Roos as well and that A-League situation into Auckland. Yeah, last time around didn't make it. This time around, um, I, quite often when I hear billionaires coming on in, I go, uh, uh, uh-oh, we've got somebody who's got a lot of money, um, and sometimes that just doesn't really doesn't really work the way it's meant to work. This guy's got money and a pretty good track record at the moment in the world of sport. Righto, we'll take a break. Andy Harper's going to join me after the news. Welcome back. Uh, let's get to more football. Of course, it's been a hot topic this morning on all sorts of fronts. I'm glad to say that Andy Harper's on the line to discuss a whole range of things. G'day, Andy. Good to chat to you, mate. Yeah, g'day. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good, thanks. What did you expect... Um, from the Socceroos early this morning. I just had a caller saying maybe, you know, we're expecting a bit more, especially off the back of Bangladesh. But given the circumstances, mm. um, it, it was always going to be an interesting one, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you, you're right. I think I, I tend to agree with your caller. Um, we expected them to win, which they did. We expected them to do it a bit more. Well, I shouldn't presume to say we. I expected them to do it a bit more comfortably. Um you know, these Australia's certainly in recent times with Graham Arnold. They they know this territory very well. Playing qualifying matches in neutral venues in the Middle East, they know like the back of their hand because most of the last qualifying campaign, because of COVID, was in this sort of circumstance. Um, the only difference this time is that uh, they're playing against Palestine and all the all the context that comes with that, given the, the circumstances. Um, that's the only thing that's different. And I found it really interesting, um, without being critical, that they did find this game evidently so difficult. They, they looked, by comparison, very flat. Uh, a number of players were really struggling to get going. 
Uh, and as I say, you know, this is not new territory. There are some new players in the squad, etc. But the organisation has been you know, been through this mirror maze for the last four years a lot. They're very familiar with what's required, and they found they're going difficult. Now, let's give a lot of credit to Palestine, who showed a lot of fight, a lot of pluck, played some good football, and and were very unfortunate in some senses not to jag a draw out of the game. Yeah, you raised some really good points about familiar territory, very different circumstances and, and quite unforeseen, obviously, but familiar territory for being in this kind of position. So do you reckon then that, that Arnie's, Arnie's dissecting it this morning, saying a win's a win in these circumstances or given that you know what kind of person he is and what kind of coach he is, that he would, been, would have been maybe disappointed with the outcome or not the outcome, but the process? Yeah, no, I think, look, I think it would be both. Um, any coach in any sport, any part of the world, will take the three points um, because that, that can cover a multitude of things. So, but, but he'll be very introspective about the performance. So this, is, this was the flattest Socceroos performance in recent memory. Uh, obviously, this time last year, almost it's 12 months ago to the day, they were in the World Cup in Qatar and they set their own... Uh, records there, fantastic, still in the afterglow of that to some extent. And post-World Cup, you know, they've been invited to play against Mexico and Argentina a couple of times and first time in our history invited to play England at Wembley and, and lost that match but probably should have won it. Um, so they've, And then they bounced into, the, there were Ecuador matches in that as well, they played very well. Um, and then they played Bangladesh and, and the momentum was discernible. And I think if Graham Arnold, he might look at this one and think, okay, is this what arrested the momentum coming into this game? Because we need to get it back and quickly. Um, um, you know, the only the other difference I should I should add is that uh, in the last World Cup qualifying campaign, um, one of the reasons that we were playing, one of the the other point about playing all the qualifiers in neutral Middle Eastern territory was the players didn't have to navigate the long trip home to Australia. Mm. Um, and so that is something that's been re-entered into the, into the calculation now because the Socceroos played most of their qualifiers away from home because of, of the same circumstances. So, you know, maybe getting back into the managing the whole travel thing uh, might be something that, that, that is, that comes in the post-mortem of that match. But, but um, you know, they had chances to in, increase, the win margin, um, hit the post, uh, a couple of other chances they might have done better with. But I think the outstanding bit of goalkeeping to separate the teams was by Matt Ryan. And, and that's where, you know, people watching it might think that Palestine could could rightly claim to a share of the points. But, you know, Arnie's done a great job with this, this squad of players and he's regenerating the squad as well. I, I tend to think this will just be a blip. But um, And it was far from a disgraceful performance. I mean, we don't want to sort of heap coals on the whole thing, but it was certainly flatter than we'd come to expect. And he'll be looking to get some electricity back into that in no time, I'm sure. Yeah, so a couple of months until the start of the Asian Cup and we've got India first up. That's pretty much mm. two months away. Gee, there's a bit going on, though, in the world of football in this country and the A-League expansion to Auckland has um, piqued my interest this morning. Now, obviously, you've got essentially first-hand knowledge of this kind of stuff. You were the establishment CEO of Sydney FC back in 2004, so I guess you know what's going to be ahead of Auckland. But 
the the decision to go to Auckland first up for the 13th team, it adds a local derby over there. Um, it's got some very big backing, mm. not from just a bloke who's got a lot of money, but got some sporting nous behind him as well. What have you made of, of this call to go to Auckland? Mate, it's a breath of fresh air, to be honest. Um, not necessarily the going to Auckland, but the snagging of Bill Foley um, and his his uh, his sports enterprise. Now, um, you know, the A-League is, is in... Is in this is a huge shot in the arm for Australian professional leagues, and they need to leverage the the acquisition of a Bill Foley and multiply that round the competition. Um, of course, I'm being a bit presumptuous because we've got to, the proof is of the pudding is going to be in the eating. But but the track record of Bill Foley in sport um, is pretty impressive. And he hit every right note in the press conference yesterday that I watched. And I have to say, it's a rare thing in recent times in our football that every note has been hit in a press conference like that. I mean, he, 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 I think he just nailed it. He gave me incredible confidence. Um, as someone who's been not on the fence about New Zealand, but I've always been of the view, publicly stated, that if New Zealand's going to be in the A-League, we need two teams to have a derby not just one. Now, this is really going to put the the, the, the wind up Wellington Phoenix. Uh, just as a side note, quite bizarrely, I don't, I don't understand how this gets through, but in the same week that APL make this fantastic announcement, and I have to say again, congratulations to all, that Auckland's going to have its own team, this weekend, Wellington is scheduled to have a quote-unquote home game in Auckland. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't understand how that gets through to me, but, but that's part of the bizarro world that sometimes is Australian football. Uh, let's not let that take the gloss off the Bill Foley announcement. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about what this can mean for the competition, but it's, it's actually not going to... It means more than Auckland, to be honest with you, if I can communicate this properly. And, and APL need to harness this and need to find more such ownership groups bring into the competition because we still have a few who need some work on them, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Look, I agree with all of the above. I think when you start digging deeper, for those that are hearing Bill Foley's name for the very first time, and you're right, that press conference is worth watching. When you start digging a bit deeper into his experience, his nous, what he brings to the table, it's it's a big snag. I totally agree. They've, they've snagged a big one there um, in the A-League, not not just with the expansion in the New Zealand and having the derby there, but also by the fact that they've got a very big player in world sport on their books. Good on you, mate. Like I said, a lot to cover. Um, thank you for all of that. Appreciate your time this morning. Good to chat. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I look forward to the Sydney derby this weekend too. That should go off like grandma's. <laughs> you got it. Allianz Stadium Wanderers um, as well. They've already sold out their allocation as well. So the Sydney Derby is live and exclusive on 10 Bold Paramount Plus from Saturday at 7.30. And, of course, the National Second Division announcement throughout the week as well. So A-League expansion, Socceroos, Ollie Roos, um, National Second Division in the Sydney Derby this weekend. It's all going on in the world of football. 0457 736 736. After the break, I'll play you a little bit of uh, Paddy Cummins as he arrived this morning back into Sydney Airport and some of the other players that have come home as well. 
on the text line, just missed my chat there with Andy when you sent in your question. I only just came in in the ad break then. What happens to Auckland and Wellington if they get relegated when promotion and relegation starts being a thing? <laughs> That's a good question. Where do they go and how do they gain promotion again? That's a very good question from Paul. Um, I'm going to hand that one over to you, Maestro. You can start digging on that one, but it's further down the track. We know that much um, because the National Second Division still got a little bit to go. They go into the Second Division, you reckon? They'd have to, wouldn't they? That's that's where they'd have to, and then they'd have to make it back that way, I guess. Matty, with all these players Gus is signing, it looks like he's building the next NFL franchise. Uh, franchise. He must have about 150 of them on the roster for next season, but on a serious note... Sounds like the Dragons miss out on another one. Maybe Flano should ask Humphrey B. Bear if he wants to have a run next year. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Port Adelaide Dragons says, Big M. The Big M. Old Gussie is at full play here. There's no way Connor Tracy fits into the Bulldogs' plans moving forward, especially with the current roster and recent acquisitions. I think the Doggies have their eye on another prize and are trying to get the Dragons to pay overs for Tracy. Once they do, I dare say it'll knock the Dragons out of the race for someone else. They are both chasing. Old mind games at play. A bit of money ball going on at play. Um, Right, let's hear from our Australian captain, World Cup winning captain now, to go along with the World Test Championship final victory. There are retention of the Ashes along the way. Pat Cummins and a few of the other players that aren't playing T20, and more on that in just a sec, have returned back to Australia this morning and faced the media at Sydney Airport Here's what Pat Cummins had to say. Yeah, really proud. It's been a big year. Um, I feel like we've spent more time, well, we've spent about six months on the road, basically, and, um, yeah, to top it off with this, it's been amazing. And, um, yeah, I guess as captain, there's always things you do that sometimes don't pay off, and sometimes they do pay off. And, yeah, I was pretty pretty pumped to uh, obviously win the other day. But, um, yeah, career highlight, captaincy aside, just as a player, playing with these boys, um, doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't, does it? <laughs> it's pretty hard to think of a a big year that could get any better. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, you retain the Ashes, you could have won them, da 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 Well, I like, too, there how Pat Cummins puts it into both captaincy speak and player speak as well. Because um, first and foremost, you're a player in a side, in a squad. And then the captaincy comes along after that. And he knows that there were bumps along that road, but it's been one heck of a road. They've been on the, on the road for six months. Meanwhile, celebrations continue. <laughs> not not Booney style on the plane on the way home because these guys are well and truly on top of that now. But some of those that they've left behind. Let's not forget T20 starting very soon. So how on earth do you come back from a celebration like that and roll into a T20 match where... I think India have got, what, one player? One or maybe two players left from the ODI squad who are going to stick around and play these five um, money-making exercise T20 matches. <laughs> I mean, any time you're representing your country is a good time. Mitch Marsh spoke about that uh, as part of his chat with the media this morning. Here's Mitchell Marsh. They're still going in India, so I'm looking forward to seeing what pans out over the next few days. But... Um... Yeah, Hetty was definitely uh, in the votes. Does he know he's been the front up in a T20 in about 36 hours time? Yeah, I'm not sure he'll be playing that game. Um, I'm no selector or coach, but uh, if he plays that game, it'd be a miracle. 
<laughs> so if you couldn't hear it, that audio was a bit dodgy in the middle there and he was talking about Travis Head being, you know, front and centre at the party celebrations. And one of the journos said, does he know that he's got to play a T20 in about 36 hours? Yeah, I don't think he'd be playing that one. Maybe what we can start to do is piece together a a party-going uh, Australian eleven. Maybe we can piece together the biggest party-goers, good celebrators, however we want to put it, um, in the eleven. So D Boone <laughs> goes straight in. We're going to have to put Travis Head in there, no doubt about it. Now I'm going to have to. I'm really going to have to stretch my memory here and see how we can. Uh, see how we can do that one but one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. let's have a bit of fun off that this morning or oh four five seven seven three six seven three six if you're like me and you've been seeing some of the photos that pop up um i reckon it will be a miracle if travis head has has gets a start in the first game remember too that andrew mcdonald's coming home so andre borovic is in charge borovic is in charge for the first time been around the australian squad for quite a bit, but um, he's going to have to face that task. What if, what if he needs to step over the top and say, listen, and Matty Wade's the skipper, listen, Travis, I want you to play. you just got to wake up first. <laughs> Get out of that. <laughs> Get out of that slumber. Okay, we're going to build a uh, all-time party-going Australian 11. Uh, I've got two straight in there. So we'll put Travis Head in as a, as a no-brainer. And we'll put D Boone, the one and only Booney, in there as well. So we've now got nine more spots to fill. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Hit me up on that. Are we thinking sort of Merv. Uh, I'm trying to think those that used to cause some chaos. Stuart Law was a good one. Uh, he was he was a good one. Stewie Law. Uh, some others from especially throughout that era of the 70s and 80s. Along the way, let me know. Socky boy, does he get a start? Probably. Let's do that this morning. Back after this. The names are coming in at full pace this morning now that we're looking for our all-time Party Boys 11. The Australian Party Boys 11 is what we're after. And I think I, I don't think we're going to have any problems filling the starting 11. Of course, we'll have a 12th man as well. So we'll make it 12 all up. I've got two guaranteeds at the moment. One topic of the day being Travis Head, the other David Boone. It appears to me as though it's going to start to come down to whether or not Doug Walters or um, Shane Warne captain the team because I'm getting equal votes, nominations for Warney and Walters. So they'll be in there and some other names as well or plenty of other names. But now it appears as though that's going to be one of the big talking points. So we'll do that in our next hour. We'll talk golf with Larry Canning as well and Joel Gould with the latest in terms of rugby league news out and about. 0457 736 736. The Party Boy 11. (laughs) Something worth doing on a Wednesday morning. We're going to build that team plus a 12th man. Stick around. On this Wednesday morning, wherever you're tuned in, right around the SEN network, welcome, welcome to all of you. Thanks for being part of the show. If you missed any of the first hour, you can catch up on our podcast. Just search up Mornings with Matt White. I had a good chat with Andy Harper this morning on what he thought was the takeout from the 1-0 win over Palestine in Kuwait City. Um, Not overly flustered about the performance itself, but you take the three points, obviously, and the next time we see the Socceroos in action will be... Uh, in January, 
for the Asian Cup. So we've got a couple of months before the Australian national team men's get back into action. In the meantime, Auckland has landed the 13th team licence provisionally, uh, essentially, for the A-League. It's still got to be ratified by the um, the federations or the powers that be, but the APLs have handed the licence to the Auckland team. So they'll join the Wellington Phoenix over there and they've got the backing of Bill Foley, um, who, amongst other things, owns the current NHL champions plus English Premier League Bournemouth. And he comes with a lot of experience and a lot of backing. So you can catch up on my chat there with... Andy Harper a little bit earlier this morning. Still to come, Larry Canning joining me to talk golf with the Australian PGA getting underway tomorrow. The party hole, of course, at Royal Queensland, a hot topic of conversation. The Aussies who are out here, the internationals as well, and the state of golf, and especially those Australians in particular who defected to live and have been missing out on majors. And I told you the situation of Mark Leishman, um, his run of majors came to an end because he switched over to live. Now, he knew that was coming. Like I said earlier this morning, he knew that that was part of the deal when you signed with the Rebel League at the time. He had a streak of 30 straight majors going back to the 2015 Masters and was knocking on the door. But now that the goalposts have started to shift, does that mean that they should start to look at how they get the live golfers in particular back in the frame? Those that don't have exemptions. So this is the interesting thing. It's actually playing against those that went to live for live, being lifestyle, money, everything else, but hadn't won majors beforehand and didn't have their major um, futures essentially locked in through exemptions. Because the one thing that they only had to get into those majors was world rankings points. And they're not available on the live tour. So a fair bit to cover there with Larry Canning. Joel Gould will join me as well. And looking forward to talking to New South Wales Pride players from the men's and women's teams, both into the semis this weekend, Tom Craig and Alice Arnott as well. So we'll get both of them on the line. They've got their respective jobs to do this weekend down there in Canberra in the JDH Hockey One League finals. They're also partners as well. So let's see how um, how all that one plays out. And we're building... Our Party Boys 11, we've renamed it because I like the name that Alex has given it. The All-Time Good Time 11. So, Maestro, well done on that. The All-Time Good Time 11. You can jump on our Twitter handle, uh, at Matty White SEN, and you can be part of this. But we're starting to get... We, we might end up with a couple of teams here. Um, okay, so Booney's in. Travis Head's in. Um, this is thanks to Mitch Marsh this morning talking about the celebrations and the fact that he doesn't reckon Travis... He, in fact, he said it would be a miracle if Travis Head plays in the first T20. Uh, Warney's in, no doubt about it. Dougie Walters is in, no doubt about that either. Here's one from left field. G'day, I know it's a cricket team we're making, but surely Joey Johns can make the team. After all, he did play for New South Wales in a T20. Yes, no, out. I mean, in terms of all-time good time, probably captain, coach, selector, <laughs> everything. But this is cricket. We're staying with cricket here. And, yes, I remember that outing there. So Port Adelaide Dragon, Warney, captain, coach. That's going to be something that we'll discuss a little bit later on. Shane Keith, Warn, captain, coach again from Kane of the Loose 11, he's called it. Some of the other cricketers who liked a party would be 
Funky Miller. So Colin Miller, yes, and Mo Matthews, Greg Matthews. And I dare say Tomo and Hogg knew how to have a good time too. I'm going to put in – so Funky Miller with the funky hairstyles definitely had him, um, had him turning heads. I'm going to put in Mo Matthews. So let's put in Greg Matthews into that. You're locked in. You know, we've got six spots filled already as I go through here. Merv Hughes, he's got to be in, doesn't he? So let's put Mervin in. Swerving Mervin's in. That's seven spots. Uh, another one for Shane Warne. Another one for Shane Warne. Andrew Simons. We've got to put Roy in, don't we? Um, so let's put Andrew Simons in there. We know exactly what type of party that uh, Roy would like to have. Rodney Marsh, Dennis Lilly, Keith Miller, Naramat. You went where I was hoping somebody would go, to Keith Miller. So absolute champion, good time man, and one heck of a player as well. Gilly is a shout-out too. Now, I've said to you before, <laughs> I've had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with one A. Gilchrist, both in a professional sense and a personal sense, and I'll just give you the tip. Absolute world champion bloke. An absolute world champion beer drinker. So if you <laughs> if you want to know how to, how to knock back a beer, or, he's almost a magician. You buy him one and it disappears. Now, Gilly, where'd that go? So... I'm going to put him. I'm going to put him over here in the on the left hand list at the moment. Um, I'd love to have him in the party eleven, but I'm just going to I'm just going to park him for a sec, for, for all of our sakes. Um, Rod Marsh, Doug Walters, Keith Miller again. So there's a couple for Rodney Marsh. There's there's some other names here that you might not think about. Definitely can't leave out Skull, says Mark. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So we'll put Kerry O'Keefe there. Here's an interesting one for you. Would you have thought that Steve Smith would make the all-time good time 11? Most people would be sitting around going, nah, wouldn't think so. Well, I'll read you an article that goes back 11 years, written by Daniel Lane in the Sydney Morning Herald. Back in 2012, it was written about Steve Smith. I'll read that to you a little bit later on. It might sort of um, trigger some memories there. And, of course, have we got Davey Warner in the picture yet? Remember the Davey Warner-Joe Root situation? <laughs> so do we need to play that one out? 0457 736 736. We've currently got nine spots filled. We might have an Australia v Australia A here. Who makes the, who makes the ancillary list? Ah, this is going to be good fun. So will this. I always love talking golf with Larry Canning, who is on the line ahead of the Australian PGA Championship underway tomorrow at Royal Queensland. G'day, Larry. Oh, you there, Larry? I think I've lost him. I can see on the board, mate. I'll get the connection up and running again. So he's definitely there. We just can't hear him. So we'll redo that one. In the meantime, I'll go through more of these. Um, Ricky Ponting is the enforcer. Well, we've got Ricky Ponting in. A lot of people go back to the old bourbon and beefsteak um, scenario on the black eye there. And that's fair enough. That's all been covered and done. And boy, didn't things turn around after that. Do you remember that press conference too? Now, this Steve Smith article. So Daniel Lane wrote an article back in 2012 
And the first paragraph reads, former Australian all-rounder, former Australian all-rounder Steve Smith said his non-selection in either of the three national cricket teams this summer made it painfully clear he needed to change a perception he was cricket's new party boy. That was back in 2012. And at that time, the Australian selectors were talking to him about working on his leg spin as well. So it's a really fascinating sideline story. Okay, Larry, I think we got you back, mate. If you got me this time, welcome back to the program. <laughs> Good day, Matty. Thank you, mate. Yeah, thanks for getting me on. <laughs> Our pleasure, mate. Always great to talk to you. There's a, there's a bit to unpack when we think about the Australian Summer of Golf and the PGA Championship at uh, Royal Queensland. And first of all, the fact that we're talking about it, Larry, I think is good. I mean, it, it's been a bit of a, a, a shot in the arm over the last couple of years, and the live thing hasn't, hasn't harmed us down here. Cameron Smith, of course, certainly hasn't harmed the cause down here as well. Do you get that feel in golf circles that it's, it's back on an upward trajectory in the summer of golf in Australia? Yeah, I, I do. I totally agree, Matty. It's, it's a, it's a, I mean, and it didn't hurt that Rory McIlroy came out last week um, when asked why he was resigning from the Players' Council, the PGA Tour Players' um, Representative Committee, um, he was asked, you know, what, what do you see as the, as the future of the game? Where, where do you see it going? What would you like to see it doing? And he said, well, I'd like National Opens, like the Australian Open, to, to regain their relevance. Um, that was fan- That was such a, a shot in the arm for us. Now, if, if, um, if he says something along those lines, he's playing for tradition, um, then there's a good chance, he still has a voice, even though he's not on the committee, that there could be some money coming our way or a PGA Tour event being staged in Australia or just some connection with the DP World Tour and the, and the, uh, and the PGA Tour, that we, mm. we could get that tournament back. You know, it's always relied, the Australian Open's always relied on, and the Australian PGA relied on uh, appearance money, Madam, we all know that. And, and if we didn't have a Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth, then we had to rely on our Australians and not and, and in the time of the year was being played and the PGA Tour, the way they designed their scheduling, we weren't getting all our good Australian players back. This year, wow, this is the strongest field we've had in a long time and we don't need Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy to make this tournament relevant. This Australian PGA's got and the Open. Brilliant fields. And when you look mm. at you know, the, 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 the Australian players and, where they, and how they're playing, Cam Smith, Scott Leishman, Cam Davis, men who lead it, but that's all we need, Lucas Herbert. Then you throw in Adrian Moronk and Rob McIntyre, um, Neiman and, and Pereira. It, it's a fantastic field. Yes, I, yes, and we're still only playing for, uh, you know, it's far be it for me to say only two million. Good God, I'd love to play in something like that when I was <laughs> that age. Um, not that I probably would have missed the cut anyway, but it would, it would have been more exciting missing the cut. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, you know, you just... You, <laughs> It just yeah, it's very relevant. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a golden year for for the two big tournaments this year compared to what they've been like over the last three or four or five years. Yeah, good to hear the word relevant too. There, I, I think that's a key word there. You know, you, you wonder where the relevance had gone over recent years, and it was it was a bit of a you know a bit of an aside now, but now it's front and center for a whole stack of reasons. I pointed out to my listeners this morning, mm. Larry. Um, the situation and, and the goalposts are shifting in world golf. We know that. We don't know where they're going to land. But we should remember here too that 
the PGA Tour decided to start moving these goalposts around. They were the ones that triggered all this through Jay Monaghan to try and get back into bed with the public investment fund. And I've gone through all of the details. But at the end of the day, when you look at a player situation like Mark Leishman, for instance, it's interesting. And it takes us back to that major um, scenario, the, the, the four majors and how on earth the live golfers who aren't getting any world rankings points and won't be getting any because they've failed in their application again this year, how they get them back into the scenario of playing in the four majors. And for somebody like Leash, who knew what he was getting into when he went to live, made his bed and slept in it, Mm -hmm. but now those goalposts are shifting. Could they look at an order of merit? It's very. There's a lot of complexity around trying to sort a live golf tour, for instance, into into rankings points. Do they have to look at something mm-hmm. here or is it just something that that comes out in the wash once they decide who they're all getting into bed with? If it remains the same, and we're still up in the air with that, what's, what's, what's happening, and I hate to use that term going forwards, it's a political cliche, but going forward, moving forward, I'll put moving instead of going, um, we still haven't worked out, we still haven't been told what the future is in terms of is there going to be some kind of bridge between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, and if so, can players jump either either side? We don't know that yet. Um, and, and, but and, and until then, we really can't get a full, clear view on what's what's coming with world rankings with Live Golf. If it remains the way it does, Live Golf will have to change their format. And and they were, I think there was some encouragement by Peter Dawson, the chairman of that that uh, committee, the World Rankings Committee. Um, that he was, he he saw the flaw in the in the in the overall system where the likes of Brooks Koepka and, and Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson may not be eligible to play majors once their exemptions are finished. Um, so he and, and he addressed it and said, look, if you can just do this and that, we can you know and, and reapply. Maybe there's a chance we can we can change things. And it was it was more along the lines of not so much the format, but the getting into live how yes. the, the pathway to live golf match. Um, and, and it's pretty, it's pretty weird. You know, I was, I was talking to Jed Morgan a couple of days ago on their podcast about his what he has to go through to get back on that tour. Um, and when you look at that, and you see a guy like Martin Kamer who, who didn't run inside the top forty or forty-five, even I think for most of the year, keep his card because he's he's a contracted player. He was signed up for an amount of years, so that's the flaw in it. And I, and I think that was that was isolated by golf, the world golf rankings people. And it's very, it's a very complex committee, even looking within that. But, um, I, I, you know, I still think there's a, there, there, is a, there is a way they can live golf if they stay where they are, can change their format. They might have to get more players in the field. They've looked at that. The team thing, you know, it, it hasn't really worked, I don't think. I mean, it, it, within the, within the uh, actual tournament, that tournament I went to in Adelaide, there was a strong team um, unity between the players. But the, as far as the public's concerned, I'm not sure we're grasping it and, and to watch it on TV, I'm not sure we're getting it either. So if they, if they kind of melt that away a little or soften that, that's another way of, of getting world ranking points or reapplying. And if they consider all the things they were told by Dawson and change those things, they can get the world ranking points. I don't think it's a shut, shut shop just yet.
Yeah, okay. Well, it's all there on the official World Golf Rankings page. I mean, it's, it's actually quite fascinating to read through. It give you an ice cream headache, but it's quite fascinating when you want to get into the nitty-gritty <laughs> yeah, nitty, nitty of it. it Just a real thing. quick one, mate, the, the party hole. So it's going to be a big focus. Party holes are party holes these days. Has a party hole got a place at a PGA Championship, in your opinion? you cool with it? Oh, look, yeah, yeah. If, if it's regulated, if it's looked after, you know, I think... Um, we, we took a, a bit of a step back with that ridiculous party hole they have over in, um, in Phoenix where they threw bottles all over that green. And, and, um, and I think Patrick Candley missed a putt because he got an edge of one of the, where the bottles had landed, a little pitch mark that a bottle had landed and cost him like the tournament nearly. And uh, what, what happened in the live tournament in Adelaide, that, you know, that's not a good look for me. So if we, as long as we retain some kind of etiquette and, and, um, and, and understanding the players are still playing for a lot of money and some of the younger guys, you know, it's such an important event for some of the younger guys trying to get their name up and, and lights, you know, against all these great players. And if something happened that, that you know, interrupted them, it would be a shame. So if, if long as there's lots of security and, you know, and it's all agreed upon that, you know, these guys are, are the feature, we're not, we're just there having a great time on a beer for nothing from the a company, um, then so be it, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I didn't see that last year. I saw it was, was quite well done last year. And I think if they keep doing that, then, then it's all systems go. Yep, 100%. Good to chat, mate. Uh, enjoy the summer of golf ahead. Hopefully we can speak more before the end of the year. Otherwise, we'll definitely speak uh, early next year. So thanks for your time this morning, Larry. Good on you, Matty. Thanks, mate. Larry Canning there joining us. 0457 736 736. Tim's got a, a solution for golf around those ranking points. I'll get to those after this break, plus more on our all-time good time. Cricketing 11. Uh, you can have your say. Still spots to be filled. Welcome back. Oh, boy. Have we opened a can of cricketing worms, folks, with the all-time good time 11 in celebration of Travis Head's celebrations, um, where, he's, where it's going to be a miracle if he makes the T20 team in fine Australian spirit. So we've decided to piece together a, a list of party boys here. I don't know if I'm going to get all through these, but it's good to see some names that are popping out from left field and names that either we'd forgotten about or didn't know much about. Now, Matt from Hunters Hill has pointed out one, Les Fleetwood-Smith, Chuck Smith, Fleetwood-Smith. Um, he says he made Warney look like a choir boy. And it's worth, if you get a moment today and you're a bit of a cricket tragic, to look up Les Fleetwood-Smith, either on the Wikipedia page or ESPN Crick Info. It's a sad story in the end. Um, he ended up many years homeless. Uh, alcoholism gripped him at the back end of his life. He played 10 test matches for Australia, was by all reports an absolute freakish bowler. In fact, one of his deliveries that he's most famous for, the delivery that he's most famous for, is up there with Warney's ball of the century. Um, but just 10 left-arm wrist spin uh, appearances for Australia. He's a Victorian, had no interest in anything else except for partying and bowling slow, <laughs> slow spinners. So we'll put him over in the left-hand column, but thank you for that, Matt. Um, Les Fleetwood-Smith, Chuck Fleetwood-Smith is his name, passed away in 1971 at the age of 62. Okay, so we've got ourselves in... in very short order. We're down to nine out of the starting 11. So I'll go through some of these before we get to the next news break. 
and see how many we can also slot in. Or do they sit over on the left-hand side? What about SEN's own Sock? Well, he's he's currently in the Australia A team, essentially, list. Thank you for that, Western Sydney Eagle. Just on Booney, says Matt, when he had a party at his house, he charged his teammates for beer and food. Hadn't heard that one. Like it, though. I think for the party 11 that the 12th man should be the 12th man, Billy Birmingham. Comedy and alcohol, it'd be a hoot. Got him, gone. Yes, Robin Blacktown. So Billy Birmingham... Um, could be the twelfth man, so we'll, that's a good shout. I'll put uh, I'll put him over in this column as well. Final two positions are going to come down to. I, I might even be a listener's vote this morning. There are so many here, so I'm just trying to find some more different names. Um, Dan says Booney, Head, Ponting, Walters, Miller, Warren, and Merv. They're all in the starting eleven at the moment. You've got Keith Miller as captain and Warney as vice captain. Tim says party team. What about Alyssa Healy? Seems like a great person to have a beer with. Yep, yep. I'd love to have a beer with Alyssa Healy. Warney Simons, Walters, Punter uh, is in there. Kim Hughes. So there's a couple of shouts here for Kim Hughes. I like this one. David Hooks. Loved a couple of froths. I'm going to put Hooksy in. So we've got David Hooks. Uh, this is no batting or bowling order, by the way. It's it's just make the 11. Um Matty, Dougie Walters has to be a walk-up start. Didn't mind a dart and a few cold treats. That's from Nathan from Denman. He's a walk-up start. No worries about that. The great Doug Walters. Uh, Matty, I reckon the five foot two Tasmania with the flared pants should be the number two in the list, and Dougie should be number one. Pucko from Ramwick. They're both in there, so take away the numbers alongside here. Roy Simons and Matty Hayden for your team, says Steve from Penrith. Okay, we'll put Matt Hayden over there on the left-hand side. Um because I reckon there's a name here that's going to jump out at me and I'm going to slot it in. Happy to debate that. But we need to go to the SEN newsroom first. We'll continue on our merry way after this. Welcome back. All right. I reckon we need to finish this off. So um, what I'm going to do is Matt points out quite correctly, Jimmy Ma never played a test. No, played plenty of one-day internationals for Australia, but never played a test. Um, So we're going to put him over in the Australia A column, which leaves either Darren Lehman or Rodney Marsh in the all-time good time 11. (laughs) There's a little bit of flexibility. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put Rodney Marsh in the starting 11, and I think I'm going to put Darren Lehman as 12th man for that 11. So let's do that there with some of the other shouts, which means, folks, we've got ourselves an Australia A team. And all of the names that keep on coming in. Here's a good one too. What about Fat Cat? Greg Ritchie. There's a good shout. What about Mike Whitney? Very funny man. Yes. Um, Funky Miller with a lot of shout-outs too. Ryan Harris and Steve Smith. There again. Matty, I reckon Gilly would have some good fun at the start of a tour based on some of his stories. Yes, but you've got to go with him. <laughs> Believe me. Um, Pup, Michael Clark. Got to be in the good time calculations. So we'll put Clarkie in as well and then I'll build an Australia A team around some of the names that are, that are left hanging, left outstanding. Um, I mean, DK Lilly's there, Gilly's there, Skull is there, Steve Smith, a couple of shouts for Socky, Funky Miller, um, Matt Hayden, Les Fleetwood-Smith from way back, Greg Ritchie. Um, I reckon Jimmy Marr can slide into that. There's 10. Have I mentioned Kim Hughes in that as well? So we've 
pretty much got ourselves two full teams of the all-time good time 11, which was a lot of fun. Solution for golf. Keep them coming, by the way. If, I, if we've missed anyone, I reckon we've pretty much covered almost everyone. Solutions for golf, says Tim, is if the PGA is full ranking points, make live three quarters of full points, the 54 holes being three quarters of 72 holes. The best players will accrue enough points to play majors. So I saw this text, Tim, and like I said to you, um, you can do that, and that's actually within the provisions of the official World Golf Rankings. And it's all there on their website. You've just got to do a little bit of digging, and you'll start to understand how the OWGR hands out points and who can get points is the easiest way to put it. You can do that under certain circumstances, but there's a lot more to it that leads to you getting a percentage-based um, amount of points. And that includes pathways, qualifying tours, um, exemptions into the tournament itself. Relegation and promotions a key one. So what they're saying is to live golf is, well, you're just signing players and they just appear. They don't have to make, they don't have to earn their card to get here. So why should we just give points to anyone? I mean, what if, what if Liv signed me or you tomorrow? And then we can get points, whether it's 75 points or 100 points, 100% of points. So that that's the complexity around all of this. And that part I understand because those rules are those rules. And the official World Golf Rankings system is is there with very strict rules around it. They need the fences around it for very good reasons. So what do they do then? Does Liv change everything that they've been asked to change, which they haven't yet? Or do they try and come up with a system that has an order of merit-based? But it's not just the 54 holes that's holding Liv back. It's a bunch of other stuff. And also the steadfast rules of OWGR. Matty, this team would need a chaperone. And from experience of watching him live on a regular basis on the hill as a kid, or live on a regular basis as a kid on the hill, it'd have to be Yabba. <laughs> yep. Well, Billy Birmingham and Lava as uh, and Yabba as well could be in that picture. Morning, mate. Has anyone asked the Live Golf participants? Maybe they don't care about not getting the points and playing on the PGA. Yes, everyone's, uh, quite everyone, Almost everyone has spoken, I should say, about this from Live Golf. It's not so much about just getting the points and playing on the PGA Tour. It's what it means in terms of the majors. So the majors have been rock solid around their rankings system to get into the four big events. Um, and that's kind of the part of it. So, yeah, they've definitely spoken to Live Golfers about it. I, th I think some go, oh, well, that's the way it is. I think all of them understand the reality of their situation because they put themselves in it. But also the the uh, changing landscape underneath them is something I reckon that's got to be looked at. Sounds like you have two good time cricket teams, Matty. Possibles and probables, says Bob. Yeah, Australia v Australia A. Not sure if Michael Beer was mentioned. Every good time needs a beer, <laughs> says Simon from Palgan. Maxie Walker. There was a name. There was a name. Okay, put him on the list. Tangles, you're on the list as well. I'll try and build the Australia A team out of that. Six and a half minutes to 11 o'clock.
Welcome back. All right. I reckon we need to finish this off. So um, what I'm going to do is Matt points out quite correctly, Jimmy Ma never played a test. No, played plenty of one-day internationals for Australia, but never played a test. Um, So we're going to put him over in the Australia A column, which leaves either Darren Lehman or Rodney Marsh in the all-time good time 11. (laughs) There's a little bit of flexibility. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put Rodney Marsh in the starting 11. And I think I'm going to put Darren Lehman as 12th man for that 11. So let's do that there with some of the other shouts, which means, folks, we've got ourselves an Australia A team. And all of the names that keep on coming in. Here's a good one too. What about Fat Cat? Greg Ritchie. There's a good shout. What about Mike Whitney? Very funny man. Yes. um, Funky Miller with a lot of shout-outs too. Ryan Harrison, Steve Smith. There again. Matty, I reckon Gilly would have some good fun at the start of a tour based on some of his stories. Yes, but you've got to go with him. (laughs) Believe me. Um, Pup, Michael Clark. Got to be in the good time calculations. So we'll put Clarkie in as well. And then I'll build an Australia A team around some of the names that are, that are left hanging, left outstanding. Um, I mean, DK Lilly's there, Gilly's there, Skull is there, Steve Smith, a couple of shouts for Socky, Funky Miller, um, Matt Hayden, Les Fleetwood-Smith from way back, Greg Ritchie. Um, I reckon Jimmy Ma can slide into that. There's 10. Have I mentioned Kim Hughes in that as well? So we've pretty much got ourselves... Two full teams of the all-time good time 11, which was a lot of fun. Solution for golf. Keep them coming, by the way. If, I, if we've missed anyone, I reckon we've pretty much covered almost everyone. Solutions for golf, says Tim, is if the PGA is full ranking points, make live three-quarters of full points, the 54 holes being three-quarters of 72 holes. The best players will accrue enough points to play majors. So I saw this text, Tim, and like I said to you, um, you can do that, and that's actually within the provisions of the official World Golf Rankings. And it's all there on their website. You've just got to do a little bit of digging, and you'll start to understand how the OWGR hands out points and who can get points is the easiest way to put it. You can do that under certain circumstances, but there's a lot more to it that leads to you getting a percentage-based um, amount of points. And that includes pathways, qualifying tours, um, exemptions into the tournament itself. Relegation and promotion is a key one. So what they're saying is to live golf is, well, you're just signing players and they just appear. They don't have to make... They don't have to earn their card to get here. So... Why should we just give points to anyone? I mean, what if, what if Liv signed me or you tomorrow? And then we can get points, whether it's 75 points or 100 points, 100% of points. So that that's the complexity around all of this. And that part I understand because those rules are those rules. And the official World Golf Rankings system is is there with very strict rules around it. They need the fences around it for very good reasons. So what do they do then? Does Liv change everything that they've been asked to change, which they haven't yet? Or do they try and come up with a system that has an order of merit-based 
but it's not just the 54 holes that's holding Liv back. It's a bunch of other stuff. And also the steadfast rules of OWGR. Maddie, this team would need a chaperone. And from experience of watching him live on a regular basis on the hill as a kid, or live on a regular basis as a kid on the hill, it'd have to be Yabba. <laughs> yep. Well, Billy Birmingham and Yabba as, uh, as well could be in that picture. Morning, mate. Has anyone asked the live golf participants? Maybe they don't care about not getting the points and playing on the PGA. Yes, everyone's, uh, quite everyone, almost everyone has spoken, I should say, about this from Live Golf. It's not so much about just getting the points and playing on the PGA Tour. It's what it means in terms of the majors. So the majors have been rock solid around their rankings system to get into the four big events. Um, And that's kind of the part of it. So, yeah, they've definitely spoken to Live Golfers about it. I I think some go, oh, well, that's the way it is. I think all of them understand the reality of their situation because they put themselves in it. But also the the uh, changing landscape underneath them is something I reckon that's got to be looked at. Sounds like you have two good time cricket teams, Matty. Possibles and probables, says Bob. Yeah, Australia v Australia A. Not sure if Michael Beer was mentioned. Every good time needs a beer, <laughs> says Simon from Palgan. Maxie Walker, there was a name. There was a name. Okay, put him on the list. Tangles, you're on the list as well. I'll try and build the Australia A team out of that. Six and a half minutes to 11 o'clock. Boy, oh boy, there's a lot going on this morning. Thanks for being part of it on 1170am in Sydney, wherever you tuned in, right around the SEN network. We're having a lot of fun this morning building the all-time good time uh, Australian cricket 11. And thanks to Mitchell Marsh, essentially. We're going to throw that one back at you, Mitch, for giving us the insight into the celebrations of one Travis Head. I also just saw the photo, too, of Adam Zampa, who's got his World Cup medal in his mouth, and he's posted one spinner, one winner. And then another photo of him with Travis Head, who's looking decidedly dusty. And the quote on that is, we ain't leaving. Doesn't look like it either. So these celebrations are all time. And it's good to see, too, especially in the... In the uh, society that we're in, oh, we can't do that. Yeah, let him go. Have some fun. Let's rock and roll. Um, now, the all-time good time 11 is locked in. A little bit controversial. So much so that I've created an Australia A team. And I've removed Billy Birmingham from 12th man. It was a good shout, but we just got squeezed out in terms of numbers. But I'm now giving you the chance to add an international player. There's a little curveball for you. We love a curveball on this show. And one name that's instantly come up and is in there without a doubt is Freddie Flintoff. The great Freddie Flintoff. So I'm going to lock him in straight away. But there is also some news around Freddie Flintoff and the Top Gear show that he was seriously hurting um, recently over there in the UK. So the BBC have decided to... decided to... I was going to say park it, but they have decided to cancel it. They've halted it. They've stopped Top Gear after 34 series off the back of the big crash that saw Freddie Flintoff severely damaged. At the time, they were saying um, some life-altering injuries that he suffered. Now, there's actually been no detail, essentially, really, around 
what happened and what his full injuries were. He has reportedly settled a deal with the BBC and with the show's itself or with the show itself and the show's producers and that's somewhere in the vicinity of the reports that I've seen this morning of nine million pounds in terms of what he's managed to settle there. The payout won't be funded by the licence fee as BBC Studios is a commercial arm of the broadcaster itself. So those life-altering significant injuries are what Freddie told the Sun newspaper or his legal team that he's still recovering from. And he was pictured last month doing fielding drills with the English cricket team, and and it's pretty messy what's happened to him. So in terms of the injuries from what we've seen, the injuries to his face are, are quite bad. I mean, it looks as though his nose has been horrifically broken. It's it's parked, It's going the wrong way. Um, and some pretty heavy damage to the right-hand side of his face, top of the lip, lower lip as well. There have been quite a few photos out there of the grazers and all that kind of stuff. So um, scars, tape on his nose, the lot. We're talking about here one of the great cricketers in the English setup, an absolute star of the game, retired from cricket back in 2009. He played 79 tests and 141 one-day internationals in seven T20s. When they won the series in 2005, I was over there reporting uh, for Channel 7 at the time. I was doing uh, Seven News from there in that final test at the Oval. And I was there for the few days afterwards. <laughs> it was off the charts what Freddie Flintoff was doing. It's it's Travis Head-like. I mean, if Travis Head can go as hard as what Freddie did on that stage, you got to remember the English tabloids too. They followed him everywhere. And he soaked it up. He did not miss a beat. Every single minute there was another photo of him at another nightclub with a cigar and a drink and surrounded by this and that. And he just loved it. And I had the privilege of speaking to him about it many years later um, when he was out here in Australia and we were just shooting the breeze about it. And I said to him, that was just crazy, mate. I was there reporting on it and I was watching what you were up to and he just shook his head. It was just another planet. So I'm going to give Freddie a shout-out for my international player. I'm going to lock him in, but... Let's hope that those injuries are okay. However, the other position is being flooded with nominations, and I would have thought you'd go the other way here, but being flooded with nominations for Chris Gale. Chris Gale for sure. Chris Gale, don't blush, baby. My international will be Chris Gale. Apparently he's recently partying with my old mate Timmy Bailey. Can I nominate Chris Gale as the international player, please? These are all bang, 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 bang. Herschel Gibbs would be my international, naturally gifted on the field, and for all reports, even more off the field has my vote, says Skip from Robertson. Uh, what about Ben Stokes? Matty, Chris Gale, a, a moral. Absolutely loved it. Are we missing Ian Botham here? Do we just want to think about that for a little bit? I think it's going to be just on votes alone. I think it's going to have to be one Chris Gale. So I was going to go Freddie and Ian Botham, but I'll put in Chris Gale and uh, Freddie Flintoff as our international all-time good time players. And then I'll give you my Australia A team in just a few moments. Right, let's talk more sport with AAP's Joel Gould, who is on the line. Been out at Brisbane Raw today or at the Brisbane Raw. So you've got Perth Glory on Sunday afternoon. G'day, Joel. Uh, good morning, Manny. Yes, I do. There's a double header actually at Suncorp Stadium with the men and the women. So just out here having a chat to them, and as they're about to train. 
Excellent. You've had your hands full with all sorts of sports this week. So you've also chatted with Cam Smith earlier in the week ahead of the Australian PGA. What was what were, were Cam's thoughts heading into this one? Well, um, actually, my colleague Murray Wenzel was the one that actually spoke to um, to uh, Cam about about his um, aspirations to, to go to the Olympics as well. Um, but I did speak to Rob Pampling about uh, Cameron Smith, and um, look, he he had some interesting things to say about about Smith and his uh, legacy and and where he will fit in as one of the greats of Australian golf and. He did say that the, the division in world golf doesn't make it easy now to compare players and their records because, of course, the um, the amount of PGA um, tournaments that uh, Cam Smith will be able to win is we don't know how many that he's going to get the opportunity to, to win. Of course, Greg Norman won 20, so it was quite interesting listening to him talk about that. But one thing he did say was he's well on his way to being a great of Australian golf, and uh, he said it, potentially the best putter in the world. It, it was very um yeah quite profound in his comments about smith and his and where he fits into the big picture of of australian golfing greats he's a good story rod pampling isn't he mate um you know out there plying his trade for so many years he's been professional since uh, the mid 90s and then he finally got that pga tour win he's now got three of them and i remember i remember when that finally came around and just what it meant to him in terms of what he could do with his schedule. And, you know, it, it just changed everything in terms of, oh, now instead of having to go and get some money or some points here, I can actually say I can be home for, for uh, holidays or birthdays. So he's a, he's a great story, I reckon, Rod Pampling. That would have been a really good chat. Well, it was. And um, Rod obviously just won on the, um, the Tour Champions uh, just recently in October. He's, he's still mm-hmm. winning on the... On the uh, what they used to call the seniors tour, uh, but he, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's lived over in um, Texas um, for a long, long time now. But he's back um, playing the Australian circuit here, visiting his family. Of course, um, he's from um, the north of Brisbane, Caboolture, uh, Redcliffe, uh, where he used to. He's one of those two towns. I've forgotten. I should know which one. But um, yeah, I, I remember Cliff, when he yeah. won. I think it was the two thousand Redcliffe. That's right. Uh, uh, two thousand eight Masters. I remember he won that. And a three-time winner on the PGA Tour. Yeah, he is a great story. Um, since he's been around for a long time. Um, and he's only 54. Uh, so, yeah, he is a good story. And he's yeah. obviously, I guess, not one of the favourites to win the PGA. I mean, Cam Smith's won three, the Australian PGA's, and he's still the favourite to win his fourth, I'd imagine. Where do you sit on a party hole, mate, at a PGA well, that's 17th. That's where we actually interviewed Rod Pampling, and what an amphitheatre <laughs> it is. There's 3,000 people. Where do I sit? Um, <laughs> oh, I reckon I'd like to sit right behind the hole. <laughs> I reckon that would be the spot to be. <laughs> but uh, there's plenty of southern, <laughs> southern comfort to go around. It's going to be just knowing what Queensland is like, Brisbane's like, uh, if it's a hot, humid day, um, uh, it's or any of those days, and I think it's going to be the way it looks. Yeah, it's going to be quite raucous, I'd imagine. <laughs> 3,000 people packed in around a little par three. That's what it is, the 7 eight. Yeah, at, uh, yeah I, I reckon at, it's at awesome. Royal I mean, Queensland. 
Yeah, I reckon you're right. Yeah, sitting right behind the holes, the place to be. But I reckon it's awesome. I mean, golf's golf's been very good at being golf. You know that that's what's kept it going. But golf has to listen to the people, and the people are saying that this is cool and funky and why we want to go. So you have to listen to it. I, I reckon it's cool. Just on rugby league, mate. What's where are we at in the news cycle of rugby league? We've got emojis making news now. Um, <laughs> in terms of Bradman Best. <laughs> posting something that Jerome Luai posted, which just is crazy, but it's the way it is. And then we got talked to around Connor Tracy reportedly being pursued by the Bulldogs. So the Sharks are prepared to let him go. The Dragons are in the mix as well. Where are we at in the rugby league news cycle of comings and goings? Well, I think the Connor Tracy one's very interesting. You know, the, the Canterbury's obviously... Look look at the amount of signings they've had. They're, they're really... They're, their roster's going to... I think there's nine or ten players that they've recruited for for next year. I, I did a piece, when I, I, I did something on Stephen Crichton, and I, I listed them all. So their their roster is going to have a completely new look. And I think, I mean, Connor Tracy, he's going to add a lot to any team that he comes into. Of course, he's he's a he's a first grader any day of the week, and someone that would slot in, you'd imagine, um, to a, either of those teams. Um, but I think it's a challenge just for Canterbury to just just to, just to get everyone working together and sync once again with a totally new new side. But great talent, and that's an interesting tug of war. I think the Ezra Mann story uh, obviously is going to be interesting. Wayne Bennett put his hand up uh, obviously in the last week and said that the Dolphins are interested. They've certainly got the money to afford Ezra Mann. I don't think he will leave the Broncos. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. One Luai is obviously the biggest. Um, uh, fish um, to, 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 to land um, and uh, look every club would be interested in him I imagine the Dolphins would be as well um, you know I, I still think that's an area where they could improve they've got serviceable halves but they don't have a marquee and I'm sure I'm sure Peter O'Sullivan and Wayne Bennett in the background and but Wayne won't get to coach whoever comes of course because this is last year but I'd watch the Dolphins. They've got a lot of money in the bank. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're going to be saying too much about who they're really after. I don't. I don't. I think Wayne's saying he's interested in Mam. Of course he is. I, I don't think he has much of a chance of getting him, to be honest. I, I think that's one to watch. But I'm pretty sure he'll land at the Broncos because they they need to have a spine going forward that they can bank on once Adam Reynolds sails off into the sunset. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, with the names that you just mentioned and and the money that they've got, the organisation that they've already proved to be in what a year, you got to keep the Dolphins in the back of your mind. Good on you, mate. I know you're busy. We always uh, thank you for your time. So thanks for your input and uh, enjoy. You're covering all sorts of sports at the moment, so enjoy that. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time this morning, Joel. No, thanks, Manny. There he is, Joel Gould from AAP uh, across all. Sports, as always. And we thank him for his time. So Brisbane Roar against Perth Glory. Um, that is Sunday at Suncorp Stadium. What time does that one start? Three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So Joel's been at the Roar today. And, yeah, that, that story about um, Rod Pampling's a good one. He's been around for such a long time and was such a mainstay of Australian golf for such a long time too. Now at the age of 54, so turned professional in 1994 and 
has really done the hard work there. At the end of the day, he's got three PGA Tour wins. Won the International in 2004, won the Bay Hill Invitational in 2016, and won the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open in 20... Uh, 2006 was the Bay Hill Invitational, and 2016 was his last one there. Also won on the European Tour as part of... Um, obviously by winning the Australian Masters. So that falls under that category back there in 2008. It was November 2008 that he did that and has recently won again. So when you look at the majors too, a lot of people forget he was top five at the US Masters. Tied for fifth in 2005. So only played three Masters tournaments and that was his first crack at Augusta National. So not bad at all. That was his only top 10 in uh, the majors, but been around for a long, long time. So good to see Rod Pampling back in the country and back out there again this week. And like I say, our thanks to Joel Gould for all of that. Righto, let's take a break. Uh, on the other side, the Australia A team will run through that. Um, we'll see if we've got the any more nominations that can knock off Andrew Flintoff or Chris Gale out of the international players. And we'll finalise this all-time good time 11 and the Australia A 11 all-time good time. Back after this. Just on the Formula One recently held in Las Vegas, some of the numbers are starting to come through. So they're starting to crunch those numbers over there in America. And these are US TV numbers. ESPN's live telecast of the Las Vegas Grand Prix attracted 1.3 million viewers, which is not a lot. But that's at 1am in the morning. The most viewed Formula One race since June. And 2023 so far has had three of the four largest live Formula One audiences in history on US TV. So Miami was a big one, almost 2 million. Monaco, 1.79. Canada, 1.76. And this one now at 1.3 million at 1am in the morning. So then they'll start to break it all down. Now, the Indy 500 has close to 5 million viewers, right? So it's nowhere near that. But again, this is at 1 o'clock in the morning and they're on ESPN's cable network over there. So some interesting numbers shows the appetite certainly there. Can you imagine what the appetite would be like if they got it into the right time zone? It'd be even bigger. So it's the start. I mean, it's the start of a 10-year deal that they've got going at Vegas. But the numbers are certainly there. We've heard from Pat Cummins and Mitchell Marsh this morning on reflection about the World Cup final and the year itself, especially from Pat Cummins the last six months on the road. It's been a huge year that has reaped all the rewards that they went in search of. And Mitch Marsh has given us an insight into the celebrations as well. Paddy Cummins also gave us an insight into some of the words before the World Cup final and the tactics in the finals that have played out along the way. So here is more from the Australian skipper this morning. It's one of those moments where every half an hour you kind of catch yourself, you're like, do we just win the World Cup? I just said to the boys, today is not the day to stand back and wait for someone else to do it. You know, be that guy. Um, you know, a bit of a motto for the tournament was, if not me, then who? The Indian batters are obviously guns, um, and we just didn't want, want to let them settle, so we thought a really good way was to just keep chopping and changing. So you know that I like to have a good listen to what athletes and sportsmen and women say and they give us a little insight into the way that they're thinking in the team mentality and we've spoken about the intent 
that the Australian team had and the psychology behind what they were taking into that final. And there's your insight. If not me, then who? That's what they were looking at each other and saying in the team meetings. So a little bit, I don't know how big or how small it was, but Pat Cummins has just given you an insight straight into the dressing room of what they're thinking. Now put that into perspective of what you watched and have a think about it and what we were reflecting on the semi-final into the final. If not me, then who? Have a think about the way that the Australian bowlers came out and started. Have a think about the attack of the batting lineup. Have a think about the fielding as well. If not me, then who? And we focused a lot on David Warner and Marnus Labuschagne in particular, especially in the semi-final there, and the attitude within their region of where they were patrolling. It was almost, it was, it was just like nothing gets past us, no matter what. And they were working as a pack. So if not me, then who? Well, they could look at each other and take that further and say, if it's not me, then it's going to be him. And then there was an early doors moment in the final against India, and I'm pretty sure it was Adam Zampa down at Long On, I'm going to say, where he dived for a ball down at the down at the boundary rope and put everything into it and stopped it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it was Zampa down there. And that was a classic case now that we've heard that, if not me, then who? He was the last man of defence. Now, he's not the only bloke in world cricket to have dived at a ball on the boundary line and won't be the next, it won't be the last. But now that you hear that, watch that, go back and have a look at it and throw that into the mindset and then wonder what India were thinking. India would have been thinking, regardless of how many matches that they've won along the way and the kind of form that they took in there, something would have been pecking away at the back of their head going, well, if it's not me, then hopefully it's someone else. And hope doesn't work in World Cup finals. Great insight there into the philosophy of the Australian team of what they were thinking and how they go went uh, their way about it. Signing Tracy, Connor Tracy would be great, says our man the Reptile, but the signings of the Bulldogs are bizarre at best. Nine signings, six the same kind of player makes zero sense. Well, I've got some news for you, folks. Make sure you stay tuned to SEN throughout the course of today and tomorrow. So with Jimmy Smith coming up after this program, you'll hear a special interview, two-part interview with Gus coming up with Jimmy today and tomorrow. So we'll get some more details on that, but make sure you listen in. Um, Jimmy has had a big chat with Gus Gould, and we'll hear the first part of that today. Let's go to the SEN newsroom. We can take your texts and calls after this on 1300 01 1170 on the open line or 0457 736 736. Plus, I'll be chatting with New South Wales Pride players, Alice Arnott and Tom Craig as well. So the New South Wales Pride men's team to take on Tasmania in the semifinals, the women's team to take on the Canberra Chill uh, in a doubleheader down there in Canberra. So we'll do that and get to your texts and calls as well. Now, on our uh, final Australian 11, so we've, we've had the first 11. By the way, James says there's two you haven't mentioned, Don Bradman, who could be the designated driver, and Kerry Packer, who buys the beers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Jody from the Lake says, what about Botham and Chip, uh, Ian Chappell? That would be a party on its own. A- an awkward one, absolutely. Right, so here it is, folks. Our all-time 11 rolled out like this. Booney, Travis Head, Shane Warne, Dougie Walters, Ricky Ponting, 
Mo Matthews, Swerven Mervyn Hughes, Roy Simons, Keith Slaggy Miller, uh, David Hooks, and Rod Marsh. Twelfth man was uh, Darren Lehman in that one, which led us then to the Australia A. Now, you can push them around and move them up or down, whichever way you want. Um, Jeff Thompson. Stephen Smith's in there. Gilly makes it. Kim Hughes. Dennis Lilly. Funky Miller, Colin Miller. Greg Ritchie. Les Fleetwood-Smith um, from way, way, way back. Pup Michael Clark. Skull Kerry O'Keefe and Davey Warner with Socky we've made 12th man into that one and honourable mention to the great Dougie Bollinger. Now, in terms of our international players, we ended up with Freddie and Chris Gale and very, very close to getting um, Ian Botham in there. So what do you make of that as a, an Australian? It started out as an Australian 11, all-time 11, and then ended up with an Australia A team as well. Um, and it's Nugget Miller. How did I get Slaggy Miller? I, I got the other Tony, I think, threw that one in there. So <laughs> now you can now argue if you want about who captains and who coaches and all that kind of stuff. But that's where we ended up. We'll put them on our socials. It's been a lot of fun along the way this morning. Matty, Greg from Gundagai. I haven't been in hiding or anything. Just got my phone back. He's been told that he needs to settle down and also is getting swamped apparently at the uh, local pub there at Gundy with people getting in just to meet him. He says he'll send some more of his winning tips very soon. Well, Greg, I've got bad news for you. you you've, been, you've been barred from doing any picks. Righto, let's talk hockey. We love to follow the JDH Hockey One League and, of course, the finals this weekend. Tickets at hockeyone.com.au and every final is live and free on 7+. plus. So this is going to be a lot of fun because on the line I've got Alice Arnott and Tom Craig, both featuring for New South Wales, of course, with Alice against the Canberra Chill in semi-final number two on Saturday afternoon and Tom in semi-final number one, the Pride v Tasmania Tigers. And they're partners as well, so partners in crime along the way. I'll say good morning to both of you and so we don't get crossed up. Alice, I'll start with you. Congratulations um, in to this big weekend down there in Canberra and against the Canberra Chill. So give us a reflection on your Hockey One League tournament so far. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, Hockey One's been great this, this season. Um, so first, well, last year I didn't get the full season. Um, I got a bit injured towards the end of the year. So um, it's great to actually have a full season. Um, I guess our year's been a little bit... Um, and down. We've had a few injuries. We've had people out for various reasons. So we've kind of definitely haven't had a consistent team each week. But um, yeah, we've definitely been putting on some good performances and obviously good enough to get us into the finals this week, which will be good against Canberra, who obviously are very good. Um, and yeah, in Canberra as well. So they're going to be ready to put up a pretty big fight, I think. Yeah, it's a huge weekend, isn't it? And I love the way that it all comes together. Tom, good morning to you, mate. You guys are also um, the defending champions. What a season that the men have had, unbeaten along the way, won the first two editions of Hockey One. We've been following the progress. So you must have a very similar reflection, I guess, on the season so far to Alice. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Alice. 
as well. Um, yeah, we uh, we've had a good year. I think it's um, it's been um, it's been a challenge. We've got a lot of our players over in Perth with the national team, so getting guys in and out, they've been flying in for home games even, which is a pretty big trip. Um, so we've actually only fielded a full roster once this year, um, and this 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 weekend. It's well, it's an enjoyable occasion to look forward to because again we'll have a full roster. So um, yeah, it's exciting. Um, we're playing Tassie in, in in the semi-final, which is also an interesting fixture because we drew with them this year. Um, so that's 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 a big one for us. Big big ticket to to tick off. Yeah, absolutely. Now listen, give my listeners a rundown. You guys are partners, but clearly we've got you on separate phone lines. Uh, so you've just said good morning to Alice, Tom, and and <laughs> Alice. So uh, what's going on here? Who's where? What's where are you guys? <laughs> Look, mate, actually, she's out on the veranda, and I'm inside. <laughs> <laughs> right, I thought you might have been in, you know, different training camps or something like that. You've just managed to split it so we could get you both on the on the team. Hey, um, Alice, let me throw this one at you. Then, how does how does all this work? Having a partner who plays the same game for the same state, um, you're both in the national squads and systems as well. So. How did how did this partnership come about? Well, funnily enough, we actually um, got together in the first season of Hockey One. That's when we met um, in 2019 and have been together ever since. Um, so, yeah, I guess you could say Hockey One was kind of the catalyst for our relationship, which is quite, quite nice, really, if you think about it. Um, so, yeah. All right. So that's how it played out. Yeah, so, Tom... Alice. I was hoping her mouth early there to control the narrative, but that's, that's, that's a <laughs> oh. No, well, I would say that that was just very professional of Alice to make sure that we weren't talking across <laughs> each other. So I'm sticking up for you, Alice. So, Tom, <laughs> then take me to when things don't go well on the pitch, right? If you're having a bad day or you've had a bad game or Alice has had a bad game or things aren't working the way that you want them to, either in the kookaburras or the hockey ruse set up, does it help to have somebody else there that you can bounce all of that off and, and talk about on exactly the same level or sometimes is it a hindrance? Uh, no, it's actually, it, I think it works quite well um, because if, let's say, let's go through the scenarios here. If I've had a good game and Alice hasn't had such a good game, then I guess my energy might bring her up a little bit. <laughs> or more, more often is the case, vice versa. Usually um, the other way around. If I haven't played well and Alice has played well, then we can kind of help each other get out of our heads just from being happy for the other person. And I guess if we've both had bad games, then it's kind of funny and we can just kind of laugh ourselves and move on to the next one. So it's actually, yeah, it works, it works quite nicely. Yeah, and Alice, you know, when you're spending a lot of time, I mean, the national system in hockey is based over in WA, so you spend a lot of time in Perth. You made your debut for the Hockey Roos earlier this year, wasn't it? In fact, scored on debut against India, so congratulations on that. Does it help to have your partner over there when you can be in the same state at the same time? Does that happen often over in WA? Yeah, definitely. Um, Initially, it it wasn't the case. Um, Tom was over in Perth and I was in New South Wales, um, mm. which was a little bit difficult initially. Um, and then obviously I made the made the choice to go over to Perth um, with him this year, which has been a, been massive. Um, 
for yeah personally and I guess for hockey as well um Tom's obviously been in the national program for a, a lot longer than I have he's been in the squad since I think 2016 or something um so he's he's got a lot of experience he he's dealt with you know the ups and the downs and um yeah it's it's really nice to have um someone that knows what you're going through and um can deal with the disappointments and the excitement um with you I guess that's been really really nice all right final one so let's Alice let's let's just imagine that Tom's not listening in the countdown to this (laughs) week this (laughs) in the countdown to this Saturday are there any quirks about how he prepares that that does your head in or is there anything that he starts to get you know does he get into a weird (laughs) zone that you notice yeah, I actually do get really frustrated with him because I am very much like, if I'm a bit nervous, I would like to talk about it. And Tom is the complete opposite. He's just like, no, clear mind. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it until the game starts. So I really struggle trying to communicate with him about my emotions before a game because he doesn't oh. want to talk about it at all. So I've learned just to talk to other people instead. <laughs> Okay, all right. I, I didn't want to go all Dr. Phil on us there, but Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to you then. Let's go vice versa. Let's pretend Alice ain't listening. Yeah, I'm I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Um, no, no. I would say to the contrary, Alice is a perfect partner in the lead up to game day. I cannot cannot fault anything she does. Oh, mate, you are, you're very, very good <laughs> and very, very smart. Hey, that's been a lot of fun. Great to catch up with you guys and, and have a chat. Thanks for doing the separate phone thing. We really appreciate it. Best of luck on the weekend. The Hockey One League has been awesome, and I love the way that it culminates in where you're at at the moment. So, Tom, congratulations on the season so far. Best of luck against Tasmania. Alice, congratulations on what you've achieved so far this year and will continue, and best of luck against the Chill. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Tom Craig and Alice Arnott joining us there. The JDH Hockey One League Finals. You can get tickets at hockeyone.com.au and catch every final live and free on 7+. plus. Great stories along the way, isn't it? Um, and thanks for having a lot of fun along the way to Tom and Alice for that one. That was good stuff. Let's take a break. Uh, plenty of your texts to come, still to come, uh, including, well, j- hang on, just before that. Hang on. Matt says, Steve Smith, please. Great batter, but absolute nerd. He should be in the Geeks 11. <laughs> Hang on a sec. Did you not hear the story that I that I read you all the way back about we'd, we'd forgotten? Back in 2012, he, was, he had this party boy attitude or perception there. But you have triggered something, Matt, about what you term a Geeks or Nerds 11. <laughs> Mate, it'll go gangbusters. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It'll get us into trouble. That's what it'll do. All right. We're back after this. Don't forget, Flight Centre's big red sale is on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. You can book now to save big. That's Flight Centre's big red sale. And don't forget, too, Jimmy Smith has a special two-parter, in fact, with Gus Gould coming up. So the first part coming up today and then the second part of a extended interview with Phil Gould on Jimmy's show tomorrow. But... Today we'll get some insights into one of, well, the, what they're calling one of the most promising football athletes in the country. Um, the Sydney Swans were going hard on Mitchell Woods and the Bulldogs have locked him down on a long-term deal. So he was already under contract for next year, but 
has now inked a multi-year deal with the club. And Gus Gould gives some pretty good insights into the future prospects of their new signing and just how hard all that chase was, especially with the Swans hovering on that one. We're talking about a 17-year-old. He was a member of the Sydney Swans Academy, barely played any AFL footy this year and was in the Bulldog system in the Harold Matthews Cup uh, and also the other underage program. So just a, a freakish talent by all reports. So looking forward to that chat. Make sure you stick around with Jimmy um, coming up very soon. So Greg from Gundagai says, I haven't been in hiding. Only just got my phone back. My tip for the Snake Gully Cup ran a credible fourth. Anyhow, my master Todd thinks I need to settle down a bit and concentrate on uh, work as we've got people coming in off the street, walking into our stables looking for me to get a photo or just to meet me. I'll send some more winning tips very soon. And I said, well, hang on a second. Didn't we all determine by popular demand here? Um, and I was fine with <laughs> Greg not doing the nude run. That's okay. Uh, but didn't we didn't we say if the Snake Gully Cup didn't come up, then that's it? And I thought we agreed on that. And he said, we've taken that in. <laughs> Greg, you've taken that in good spirits. However, you've got supporters out there treating Greg very bad. He made the show for weeks. If Greg can't do it, no one can. Okay. Um, and Spud says, what did Greg from Gundagai have to say? I hope I didn't miss one of his tips. Well, he's, he's now in a holding pattern by the sounds of it. Um, Matty, if shadow batting in front of a mirror in India at 2am in the morning is your idea of a party boy, will leave me out. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Tiger Dave early on, so it's taken me a while to get this one, Tiger Dave says, I just wanted to jump the gun and talk of individually personalising numbers for players is ridiculous. Didn't work the last Rugby League World Cup. If you ask me, most Rugby League fans follow clubs, not player. It'd just be another reason to put another $50 on a jumper. Um, this discussion has been around for a couple of days and if not for a good couple of years and it'll come back again and again until it either happens or it doesn't again. So personally, I like the numbers that stay with the positions. That's just a personal opinion. I hated what they did um, in the Australian setup. I just thought that was all over the place. The names on the back of the jumpers make sense to me. i got no problems with that. I think that's a... Good one, but you can keep the numbers for the positions for me. That's my personal opinion. Is it going to change? Doesn't seem so. Um, so it's just one of those stories that's hovering around. Matty, I'm not sure why the Bulldogs are chasing Connor Tracy. I like him as a player. I'd have him in my team, the Knights, says this listener, but don't the Bulldogs have five utility players they just signed and now on a sixth? Doesn't make sense to me. Well, some people are there saying, well, hang on a second. If the Dragons are having a crack, then... Let's pump up the price a little bit and let's play that kind of game. Steve, why does Australia have to be the sports nursery for the region? First it was basketball, then league, soccer, now soccer again. If those across the pond want to play in our comps, make them states of Australia. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just helping us defeat ourselves on the sporting stage. Look at the rugby league final the other week. Well, I think that rugby league may have missed a trick here that the A-League, and like I pointed out at the very start of the show, Absolutely different scenarios. Get it. Different codes. Get it. All that kind of stuff. Are they competing with each other? Nah, I don't know. But in terms of the person involved in this one, the Auckland expansion, Bill Foley, look him up and have, have a look at what he's done. And we've got our focus, or Rugby League's got its focus, I should say, on Papua New Guinea. And before that, 
the A-Leagues are going to have a trans-Tasman derby in front of them. They'll have a rivalry built up in New Zealand ahead of Rugby League because the Warriors will be the sole traders over there for a while. Our final break, then we'll come back and wrap it up after this. Just a final one on one of our cricketers that popped up this morning in our chat about all-time good-time players, Les Fleetwood-Smith. So Chuck Fleetwood-Smith also has the dubious distinction of conceding the most runs in an innings in the history of Test cricket. Back in 1938, it was the fifth Test against England at the Oval, and Chuck Fleetwood-Smith ended up with the figures one for 298 one for 298. It remains top of the list. It was the the test where England just went ballistic. Len Hutton scored 364. Joe Hardstaff, 169, not out. They declared England 7 for 903. And Don Bradman for that test was absent hurt, so could not bat and couldn't cash in. A little uh, bow around our storytelling this morning of the all-time good time 11. Jimmy Smith coming up with Gus Gould. Thanks for your company. We'll do it all again tomorrow morning from 9. Bye for now.